Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Good morning. Thank you, Matt. Worship team. Before we dive in this morning, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We come to you to the throne of grace, to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Lord, we are in awe of who you are. We are in awe that though we are sinners, um, you have made the way for us to come to your presence boldly, without shame, leaving our sin at the cross, cleansed completely through and through and through. So I pray right now that you would just bless this time together as we open your word together, that your spirit would move in our hearts, speak to our hearts, Lord, and I pray that, that, that uh, your word, which is living and active and sharper than a two, any two-edged sword, would come and convict us of, of our sin and comfort us in the cross and, and remind us of the presence of your Holy Spirit. Remind us of the rest that you've promised us and that you said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We come today, Jesus, needing rest. In your precious name we pray, amen. So where'd the summer go? We say that often, it's a time just flies by, and here we are at the end of summer. Uh, Jesse and his family will be officially starting with us next week. Uh, Jesse will be in the pulpit, and we're excited about that. Um, but this summer has gone by fast, and um, it's been a great summer, a uh, great summer of transition for our body and just for our families, and, and I pray that you've had some time to get away and rest or to stay at home and rest, and, and uh, rest is something we all need. And the picture, there should be a little picture coming up here, um, there. Does that look restful? Rest. This is actually a picture of a sunrise over Lake Michigan. This was the uh, view that we had from the cottage that we stayed at up in Door County in July. And it was amazingly restful. And rest was a time where we just set aside our schedule, we didn't work, and we went as a family up to Door County for a week just to be together. Uh, we had fun in our cottage, relaxing. We had lots of ice cream, well, two times of ice cream. Lots of fun coffee with lattes, and we had um, a fun time. At, there was a putt-putt golf place called Pirate's Cove that we had lots of fun at, and I know my children loved hearing me do pirate imitations of, I still have me arms, and I mighty hit the ball. Right, Mackenzie? Love that. <laughs> so we had lots of fun, and rest is important. And, and yet in that rest, we also had a few irritations. Uh, our GPS on the way up took us, we weren't really paying attention. We normally go up through Milwaukee and we're driving by Madison. I'm like, I didn't realize Madison was this close to Milwaukee. <laughs> and so we went totally what we thought was out of our way. And, and uh, we got up there, and, and there'd been a lot of rain. And we opened the door of the car, 
and were swarmed with mosquitoes. And I think Mackenzie lost count at 28 or 29 bites that she had. We had a driving rainstorm that was so strong we had to pull off the road because we couldn't see. We heard a loud smack on the way home that night. We had met my nephew and his family for uh, pizza down in Sturgeon Bay. We heard a loud smack, and then everything was dark. Every time we drove through and we got home, we had a power outage. And <clears throat> um, we didn't have power that whole night. Very, very dark cabin. By the next morning, it was restored. But those things didn't ruin our rest. We still enjoyed our rest. And the Bible tells us a story of the eternal rest that God has created us for. And obviously right now, we don't necessarily feel that. We feel the mosquitoes and the power outages and the rainstorms. But his promise is still true, and we can experience it now, and we have it to look forward to for eternity when there will be no more mosquitoes, no more driving rainstorms, no more sin. Well, you'll notice that the uh, title of the sermon today is The Rest of the Story. And if you know me very well, you know that I love play on words, love puns. <laughs> and um, the rest of the story, it just hit me. The Bible is the story of God and what he's done for us in Jesus. And, and the rest that he promises is the rest of the story. And I borrowed this term, if you're anybody familiar with Paul Harvey, for years, he was a radio show host. Going back to World War II, he had a story called, or a short radio program it was called The Rest of the Story. Um, he would often tell about a person, and the way he did it, he crafted his story. He didn't tell you what he was talking about or who he was talking about as he walked through the story, and you're trying to guess who's he talking about. And then he gets to the end, and then he'll say whoever it was. And then he'll say, and now you know the rest of the story. Good day. So, all right, I'm done with imitations for the day. But the curtain was raised, and then we knew who he was talking about. And the Bible storyline is spun very, in a similar way. God created the world and the entire universe. On the sixth day, he created man and woman. And it says that he, on the seventh day, he rested. We could define God's rest as the peace of God in the presence of God in the place of God. And Adam and Eve experienced that. They had peace with God. They had a right relationship with God. They enjoyed his presence without sin to that point. And the place of God, Eden, they enjoyed being with him. But when they rebelled against him, by choosing to go their own way instead of his way, they forfeited that rest that he had created them for. But before God ever created anything, he had determined a plan of salvation, a plan of rest for his people that would be eternal. A rest in which they would know, that we would know his peace in his presence and in the place that he has prepared for us. And that would be eternal. The Old Testament tells the story of the coming one who would die and rise again on behalf of God's people and that through faith in this person there would be eternal rest. About 2,000 years ago, God came in the person of Jesus Christ. And through his redemptive work at Calvary and his resurrection, we can now enter into God's eternal rest. And we enter by faith alone in Christ alone. And as we mentioned, in this life, our experience of this rest can vary from day to day. 
in circumstance to circumstance. But the more we engage Christ in his word and in prayer, the more we will experience his rest until we get the glory and we can enjoy it to its fullest. So when we have placed our faith in Christ, we have entered that rest. And one day we will enter into the fullness of his rest in his place in glory. The book of Hebrews was written primarily to a Jewish audience. They had heard the gospel, and they were in danger of slipping back into Judaism. Among them were some true believers in Jesus and those who were flirting with the gospel but who had not completely entrusted themselves to Christ. It's all about the supremacy of Jesus overall. This whole book points to him. A look at the first four verses of the, of the book gives us a glimpse into this message Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our prophets, our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the priesthood. His sacrifice for sin is greater than any sacrifice, and he is the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament. And some in that day, as well as today, were not fully convinced. And they were aware of some of these truths, but they were not placing their faith in him. And thus this book is filled with warnings. Listen to chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or dis disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. <clears throat> the danger in not embracing the gospel is that it's easy to start to drift away from it. The danger in flirting with the gospel is it's easy to drift away. I think that's one of the reasons why in chapter 6 he would talk about this hope in Christ as the anchor of our soul because when we're anchored to Christ we will not drift away. So the, book, the call of this book is to those who don't know Jesus to embrace him by faith and enter into that rest and to those who do know Jesus to keep pressing on and call others to come to Jesus. He is worth it. Don't give up. Our passage today is a pretty long passage, and I was really encouraged tremendously by Ron Karras' message last week. And I, I love how the Holy Spirit puts things together. He and I had not talked, but it just seemed that the passage that he chose to speak from and what he talked about fit exactly with what I was working on and wanting to share. And one, one thing that encouraged me, as I was looking at this passage, I thought, that's a lot of verses to go through in one sermon. And there could be maybe four or five sermons here. And I was counting the verses in Ron's passage, and I thought, that's one more verse than what I'm preaching on. So I thought, that's, not, that's okay. 
So, um, but anyway, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 3, 7 through chapter 4, verse 16. And as we read through these chapters, I'm going to read just each section at a time and then comment on it. Notice and look for the word rest. It's mentioned 12 times in these um, 28 verses. 12 times the word rest is mentioned. So I think God's trying to tell us something. So let's look at verses 7 through 19. And once again, my play on words, no Jesus, no rest. I've seen bumper stickers, no peace, or no, no Jesus, no peace. So I modified that, no Jesus, no rest. So those who do not have Jesus do not have rest. And our first point here under that is that entrance into this rest is denied through unbelief. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Our scripture reading this morning was Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. And it's a call to worship. And it's an amazing contrast because that is the call to faith, that's the call to worship. This passage right here is right where we left off in what we read. So the writer of Psalms calls us to worship, and we see this amazing contrast even then of faith and unbelief. And we see that in the book of Hebrews. The, the Psalm 95 is a contrast between God-centered worship and living and self-centered worship and living. And it's interesting, in this uh, passage, it's, it's the Holy Spirit is expounding on his own word. Hebrews 3 and 4 is, a, is an exposition of Psalm 95. Uh, a few weeks ago, Jeff Lewis preached on Hebrews 11, and in that passage, we see example after example of people of faith, of Old Testament heroes of faith, and those who live their lives according to their faith. Those are the examples to follow. This passage gives us the flip side and says, here's the guys not to follow. It's an interesting just little side note that the, in, the, in the hall of faith in chapter 11, we could go through each one of those people that are mentioned, and you can, the, the scripture also highlights their sin, right? I mean, Moses and uh, Abraham and, and David and all of them. What's interesting that not one mention of their sin is found in that passage. In this passage, the only thing that we find mentioned is the sin of those people. And I think it's just a, a, a picture of the, another verse in, this, in, in Hebrews where he says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. When we have put our faith in Christ, our sins are removed. And so the people in, in, in chapter 11, we don't hear about their sins anymore. And when we're in Christ, our sins will never be brought up before us, before the throne of Christ. Amen? So he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95, and when, when we read scripture, 
we're reading the very word of God. We know that, but we need to be reminded of it. The Holy Spirit says, this isn't just some famous person speaking, it's the Holy Spirit of God. It's living and active, as he says in chapter 4. Paul called the scripture, said it was breathed out by God. It's the very breath of God. It's not any book. It's the story of God. It's the story of who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus. The Holy Spirit says, God spoke in and through men to record his words. He speaks of creation. He speaks of the fall. He speaks of redemption in Christ. And he speaks of ultimately the restoration of all things in Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. Does this word grip us? And does it inform how we live? Have our hearts been transformed by it? And are we continuing to read it and meditate on it, pray over it, and have it renew us day by day by day? And do we cherish it more than anything else? Do we live by it as it says, and Jesus quoted it, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is the word of Almighty God. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, if you hear his voice. And with this word today, three words come to mind as I look through this. Urgency, opportunity, and grace. Urgency. Time is fleeting. We already talked about how fast the summer has gone, how quickly time passes by. The longer we see this, the more we know this. I remember as a junior in high school, I uh, saw a picture in our local newspaper of some friends of mine's parents who were having their 20-year class reunion. And I thought, man, that seems like a long time. It seems ancient. And next year, I will have my 40-year class reunion, which is two of those 20-year class reunions. It goes by fast. I mean, really fast. Time is short. Jesus said, behold, I am coming quickly. We need to redeem the time, as Paul said in Ephesians 5. We need to pray, as the psalmist did in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to realize, God, that time is a gift from you. Help us to make the most of it by pouring ourselves into your kingdom. But it speaks of opportunity. We have the opportunity today to rest in the saving work of Jesus and to live our lives for him, to be filled with his spirit and to spend and be spent for him. There's kingdom work to be done, and we get to be part of it. Jesus is building his church. His message, his story is the gospel. His mission is the building of the church and through the proclamation of the gospel. And he has given us the keys to his kingdom to unlock the prison bars of those who are lost in their sin and to encourage one another day after day to keep following him. So we hold in our hands the greatest treasure ever given. What will we do with it? And then the third word here is grace. No matter what happened yesterday, no matter what even happened 10 seconds ago, or no matter what even happened one second ago, no matter how I've fallen short, no matter how lax I've been in my walk with Christ, 
there is grace. Yes. And this passage we will finish at the throne of grace. Throne of grace. God's unmerited favor is poured out on us through Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Paul, with all his former sins, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he served Christ mightily in that grace. And Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. But verse 10, that God has created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's got a purpose for each and every one of us in the kingdom. Today is a new day. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in his grace. Rest with God in, in his grace in Christ alone. We cannot earn it. We cannot work for it. We can only turn to him from our sin and trust in Christ alone. And then he says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. God is speaking. Are we listening? And to listen means more than just to hear, yeah, 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 I hear what you're saying. It involves a response. It gets down to the heart, the inner core of who we are. He says, if you hear, with his, hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Our hearts, by nature, from the time of the fall, are in rebellion against God. And we are dead in our sin. And we need new hearts. And that comes only through the gospel of Jesus. God in his sovereign power takes this message of the truth of Christ and by his spirit he breathes new life into us giving us new hearts that are enabled to believe in him and able to love him and able to love others. And when someone rejects that message they are in danger. They are hardening their heart toward him. They are choosing self over God and in so doing, they're pushing him farther and farther away. But there is still grace. And notice here that sin is a hard issue. He says, don't harden your hearts, and that they always go astray in their hearts. He also says, they have not known my ways. Well, God's ways are known in his word. And if we push it away, we don't know his ways. It says that the heart are not transformed by the word of God they aren't being transformed that's the only way they can be transformed Jesus said in Matthew 12 out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his uh, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil it all started in the garden when Adam and Eve decided to doubt God's word unbelief, and chose to go their own way instead of God's way. Unbelief is the root of all sin. Their hearts became darkened, and again, all of us have inherited that heart. And it directs the life. The life is self-centered and directed rather than God-centered in worship. The actions reflect the heart. He says here, they shall not enter my rest. It is down in verse 19, he will say that it's because uh, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is the only sin that will keep us from salvation. 
to turn to Christ by faith, to recognize that we are sinners in his eyes, no matter what it is we've done, to respond to his word through the Holy Spirit and say, yes, Jesus, I trust in you. No matter how far we've gone, there's still hope, there's still grace today. We may wonder in what ways did Israel's sin manifest itself, and we could look in lots of different passages. The passage Ron shared last week is one of them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul sheds some light on this as well. Um, just to sum up, they were grumbling, they were murmuring, they were ungrateful, they were discontent, there was sexual immorality, there was idolatry. Over and over and over again, they rejected God's provision for them and considered it worthless. They trusted only in what they could see and not in the unseen. Again, contrasted with Moses in chapter 11, that says he left Egypt, he rejected the treasures of Egypt, and he trusted uh, the unseen one. They could only see the now and not the eternal. They evaluated their happiness on good feeling and not on the provision of God. They weren't happy with the water out of the rock. They weren't happy with the manna that God provided with them. They weren't, they weren't happy with being delivered out of their slavery in Egypt. Jesus was present with them in the Passover, in the manna, in the water from the rock, in the serpent raised up in the wilderness. All they had to do was look at it and be healed. All these were shadows of Christ. So in their unbelief, they were rejecting Jesus. It's like this book is saying, don't be like them. So we move to our next point, exhortation to endurance, starting at verse 12. <clears throat> Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is a grave warning that is given. You know, we, we have weather alerts now on our cell phones, and you'll hear a there's a tornado warning for your area. Please seek shelter immediately. You know, that's like, oh. well, we don't, it's crazy if we hear that and then we run outside looking at the tornado. Sometimes I, I, I kind of want to do that, but, but it's crazy to do that. We need to run to the shelter to find protection. We don't shake our fists at tornadoes, although it would seem that some storm chasers do and it makes for intriguing television, but those who are wise will run quickly to the safest place of shelter. The safest place of shelter, the only place of shelter from the wrath of God is Christ. 
And we do so only by the grace of God, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we do, then we experience his peace, in his presence, and ultimately in the place that he is preparing now for us. And in this passage, too, we, we note the exhortation. Take care. Guard your heart. Exhort one another. Hold fast, firm to the end. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it's important that we persevere to the end until we see Jesus face to face. Jeff uh, Lewis talked about, again, uh, a few weeks ago, about faith and obedience and being two sides of the same coin. And we think about perseverance in the faith. There's really two sides of that coin. There's the coin that, yes, God will never, ever let us out of his hand. Jesus said that, that, that his sheep hear his voice and they follow him and no one can snatch them out of his hand and that no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand so we are safe and secure. But the other side of that coin is continue firm to the end. There's a mystery in that. But Christ holds on to us and we keep going, not turning back. And yes, we will fall. We, we, we fall short every single day, but we get back up and we come to the throne of grace and we say, Jesus, I blew it again. And he says it's covered. And we keep going forward. God never lets go of us, but we also need to keep moving forward. Not perfectly, but our mindset is, I am not turning back. Perseverance is a huge theme in this book. The Israelites in chapter 3 didn't have it. The believers in chapter 11 did, and we're called to that. So let's move now into chapter 4. So we see that those who don't know, have no Jesus, have no rest, but those who do know Jesus do no rest. Entering in by faith, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you seem, should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he points a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall short by the same sort of disobedience." The promise of rest still remains. God is faithful and he cannot lie. 
So when we come to Jesus, we will find rest in him. The word promise is found 18 times in the book of Hebrews. If God says something is true, we can bank on it. When he says that faith in Jesus results in rest, we can rest in it. To know Jesus is to know rest. And God has promised rest for those who will embrace the good news. It's important to note that the good news preached in the Old Testament is the same good news preached in the New Testament. There's one storyline throughout the Bible. God created, man sinned, God made provision for sin. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was a shadow of the Messiah who was to come. The law was given to point to the sin, as Ron talked about last week, that would remind us that we're broken and we need the atonement of this Messiah who is coming. And now we know that Jesus has fulfilled it all. He's come. He perfectly kept the law. And then he offered himself as the one-time sacrifice for all time for sin. He rose again, conquering death, and repentance and faith in him are proclaimed for the forgiveness of sins and the promised rest and peace with God. Again, Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus, he will give you rest. From our first step of faith and every step after that, we come to Jesus. And then in chapter 12 of Matthew, Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the rest of God, and, and, and rest is found in him. Rest is not found in doing a bunch of good things, but in trusting in Jesus and trusting in him alone. This is grace. In fact, in verse 10, he says, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. When we rest from our works, we lay it down and we say, I'm done trying to earn my way to God. Christ has done it all. In these three, in verse three, he says, we who have believed enter that rest. There is a sense that, as we've said, we've already entered into that rest, and yet the fullness of it has yet to come. And right now, there's things that go on in our lives and we don't feel that rest. So is there a way that we can experience it even now? And from this passage, there is a way. Verses 12 through 16, experiencing this rest in the here and now. It's found as we engage Christ, as we continue to come to him through his word, through prayer at the throne of grace. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Medically speaking, if you want to see a lower back, what it looks like on the inside, we take an x-ray. If you want to go deeper and see what the little discs or the cushions are in between the vertebrae, we do an MRI. The MRI gets in even deeper to see 
It shows us what we can't see on the outside. The Word of God is even greater, obviously. It cuts down deep into the heart, all the way down, exposes our sin, exposes the very thing that is bringing death in us. But it doesn't leave us there. It brings us to the throne of grace and the solution and the remedy, which is the blood of Christ. So the Word of God looks at us. It diagnoses our condition. It holds us accountable, for sure, for our sin. But he doesn't leave us there. In one way, we can know the work of differentiation between the work of God and the work of Satan. Satan likes to point out our sin to us and condemn us and leave us there and tell us how awful we are. The Holy Spirit will say, yes, you did that. Yes, it's bad. Yes, you're accountable. But Jesus paid it all. Amen? And again, Ron talked last week when when we teach the Ten Commandments any portion of scripture, we want to do it in context of being broken and in need of atonement. And Christ has paid it all. So look at verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These verses tell us that because of Jesus and what he's done for us, we can come boldly into God's presence and enjoy his rest. We don't have to clean our lives up. We don't have to fix them. He's perfect and we are not. And he knows that we are weak. And not only knows it, he sympathizes with it. He feels it. He knows our shame. Our faith is mixed with our sinful nature. The, the examples of faith in chapter 11, their lives, their faith was mixed with sin. But again, the scripture doesn't mention it in chapter 11. The scripture is silent in chapter 11 because Christ's blood has covered their sin. Jeff Lewis again, a few weeks ago, said one of his favorite verses was from Mark 9 when the father of the boy who was possessed by a demon that Jesus had delivered, he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Our faith is mixed with unbelief because we still have our fallen nature and there's nothing good, Paul said, in us. There's nothing good in our fallen nature. And so unbelief being the root of all sin is still there. But we have new hearts in Christ, hearts that believe, and we battle that unbelief every day. The gospel saves us And then the gospel sanctifies us. And that's why we need fresh supplies of grace every day, every moment, reminding ourselves that Christ died for that. He says, uh, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know about you, but I feel like every moment of my day is a time of need. And so this is for us right here, right now, 
It's for us 10 minutes from now. It's for us an hour from now. It's for us tomorrow morning when we wake up on Monday. It's a throne of grace. No matter how we have blown it, how many times we have blown it, Paul said where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So, don't let your sin drive you to the ground. Let your sin drive you to the throne of grace. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Read his word. Meditate on it. Pour out your heart to him. Talk with him. Tell him your pain. Tell him your sorrows. And receive his mercy and his grace. It's all about Jesus and what he's done for us and, and how he continues to intercede for us. Hebrews 7.25 says he is able to save to the uttermost, save forever, those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for us. Always. So this book is a call to those who are not in the faith to come into God's rest, and it's also a call for those of us in the faith, those who know God's rest, to keep pressing on and to be more diligent to experience this rest, and to call others into it. He says to exhort one another every day. That's what we need to do as a body of Christ at KBC, is to exhort one another, to remind each other of Jesus and his sacrifice, and say, keep going, keep going. And to be willing to share with each other, you know what, I'm really struggling. And to not be ashamed about that. We don't have to be. Because we dwell at the throne of grace. So let's sum this up. I love diagrams. Ken's going to pull it up here in a second. Anybody in my home group sometimes will, our, our home group will see repeat diagrams with different words. I've never used this one though before, so this is a new one. So if you'll recognize that photo, it's the photo from the beginning of the restful place in uh, Door County. So I wanted that as a picture of the rest of God. And we could think of God's rest, again, as the peace of God, in the presence of God, in the place of God. There's a now and an eternal aspect to that. And we enter in by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as we do, already the Holy Spirit has come, regenerating us. And though God lives in heaven, he also lives with it inside his people, collectively, and individually, inside each one of us is the, the Holy Spirit of God. Inside of us collectively as we gather is the Holy Spirit of God. This, what we're doing today, is a picture of what we'll do for eternity, is worshiping together. He's in us. He's among us. We can enjoy his rest, whether we're together or whether we're tomorrow morning, we wake up and go about our day because he's in us. And ultimately, in the place of God, um, Eden was forfeited by Adam and Eve, but the heavenly Jerusalem's going to be even better, and that's coming, and we have a place reserved. But even now, we can enjoy the place of God, the throne of grace, confidently and boldly we can come moment by moment. So if you are here today and you've been saying no to Jesus, will you hear his voice today? Will you sense the urgency 
and take the advantage of the opportunity and embrace his grace by placing your faith in Christ. To do that, you will not be disappointed. You will not be turned away. He promises you rest now and for eternity. He will give you his peace, his presence, and his place forever and ever. And brothers and sisters, if you have said yes to Jesus and you do know him, keep pressing on. Keep reminding me to press on. Keep reminding those around you to press on. And every day, every moment, come to the throne of grace in his word and prayer. Keep exhorting each other. And everybody you meet, pray over them. Ask for God to open doors to share the story of Christ, the story of his rest. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing God, creator of the universe, sovereign over every aspect over every atom in the universe, every molecule, every planet, every star, everything in the sky, everything under the microscope, everything in our mind, everything in our hearts. You know the depth of our sin and yet you love us. You know how frenzied our lives are and how weary and heavy laden we are, and yet, Jesus, you invite us to come. And you promised, God, your word says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will, it's a promise, I will give you rest. So I pray right now in our midst today, Lord, if there's anybody here that is uncertain, anybody here that has not come to the throne of grace ever, maybe they've heard the message, but it hasn't rung true in their hearts. And they haven't, it hasn't been united by faith. May today be the day that they would say yes, yes, yes to Jesus and to come to him by faith. And Father, I pray for this body of Christ. Lord, we all have our stresses and strains in life. We all have the things that push our buttons. We all have the burdens and the sorrows that we deal with, some of them a direct result of, of our fallen nature and our sin. Some of them things that are out of our control that just happen to us and around us. And God, we come to the throne of grace boldly and confidently because you said to God you said to and we take you at your word you said we will find mercy and grace to help in time of need God today is a time of need and we need it may you pour out your mercy and your grace upon us today and in the days ahead and, and would you bless mightily your work in and through KBC in and through this community in the local churches that are preaching the gospel of Jesus in our country and in the world. Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come and your will be done. And may you return. You said you were coming quickly. And Lord, we say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more 
more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.